It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Dana Perino. I recently spoke with Mary Cantwell and Brooke Uten. They co-founded Enriched, a literacy education program for children in nursery through 12th grade. They launched in 2020 to help students who had their education disrupted by the pandemic and have fallen behind. They address the long-term concerns of what is called COVID learning loss and what must be done to address it. We made some edits for time and thought you might like to hear the whole thing. So thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the weekday Fox News Rundown podcast. Now, here's Mary Cantwell and Brooke Uten on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Mary, I'll just start with you. Could you describe, first of all, describe your organization and also the nonprofit? Dana, thank you so much for having us on. Um, And we have to thank Megan Quimby for introducing us. Uh, So we are Enriched and we are a literacy education company. We are virtually all over the country uh, working to help children learn to read. Essentially, we use a phonics-based systematic reading approach that really works. It's meant to move the ball down the field, and it does. We work with children of means who can afford tutoring. We work with children who cannot afford tutoring. Um, We raise money for these children through our non-for-profit, and that is called Onwards. Um, So we have two sort of angles to what we're doing, which is interesting. Um, We really have a unique perspective on the literacy crisis in this country. We are seeing it transcends socioeconomics. Brooke, maybe that's a good place for you to start to explain to us why this is a crisis. If you could tell me about the scope and scale of the problem that we have with literacy. So, you know, we've had a problem with literacy starting uh, long before the COVID pandemic. Um, You know, people right now are really focused on the learning loss related to COVID. Well, actually reading scores in this country have been stagnant or um, on the decline for the last 20 to 30 years in this country. Um, and you know, a lot, there's many different reasons for that. You know, we have overcrowding in public schools. Um, we've had a move towards something called balanced literacy and away from structured literacy or the science of reading, um, which has been, you know, sort of had a very radical impact on children's ability to read. Um, you know, basically that just in a nutshell, the difference there is that a structured approach to literacy, um, uses phonics as Mary mentioned to build the foundational skills of a student. And then from there, once a student learns how to read, they can then start to embrace literature and start to have higher comprehension and things like that. Um, Our country over the last 20, 30 years has moved away from that into something called balanced literacy. And balanced literacy is just sort of the notion that if you hand a child a book, they can look at the pictures, look at the first letter of a word, make a guess at that word and, um, and read. And what we've learned, sadly, is that children need to learn how to read in an explicit way. We pick up language acquisition and the ability to speak um, just through our interactions, right? That's something that our brains are sort of hardwired to do, um, learning oral language. But learning the, the systematically how to read needs to be taught. So um, 
sadly, you know, we're looking at statistics, you know, like we were just listening to a podcast um, in New Haven, um, you know, a, more than half the children are not on grade level in kindergarten through third grade. Um, and that's why the state of Connecticut is now examining their approach to literacy and this idea of balanced literacy versus science of reading. Um, wow, it's, it's so interesting because I would have no idea how to teach someone how to read. I love to read so much, but the way you're describing that here, I can't imagine anyone being able to succeed without the phonics part of the equation. You absolutely need the phonics part. And it's really interesting that only, I think the percentage is like 10 to 15% of children can pick up, quote unquote, pick up reading um, through osmosis. It's really actually not through osmosis. It's just that their brains are firing on all synapses in terms of the three different areas in your brain that need to be fully developed and activated to read. Um, they have those in place and they're using those tools to, to learn the system of phonics without explicit instruction. But that means that you know, 80 to 85% of students need the direct instruction. They need that explicit instruction. And sadly, um, you know, further statistics support that um, by the time you get to fourth grade, if you're not proficiently reading, you will pretty much stay in or around the same re reading level all the way through eighth grade. So, um, you know, if 40% of students are below grade level in fourth grade, that percentage will not reduce by the time you get to eighth grade. Um, which is pretty terrifying because I think many parents believe that um, it's developmental. My child can't do this. Well, it's developmental. They're going to outgrow it. That's just a normal parental reaction is, um, you know, my child's five. They're not doing this. By the time they're seven, they'll be doing it. Okay. They're not doing it seven. By the time they're nine, they'll be doing it. They're not going to go to college, not knowing how to do this. Right. <laughs> like that's what parents tell themselves. Sadly with reading, they will go to college and still be a deficient, potentially a deficient reader. The average college freshman can go in with 19,000 words up to 200,000 words in terms of their um, depth of their vocabulary. You don't want to be the person walking into the, your freshman class in college with 19,000 words if somebody in the room has 200,000 words. Right. I mean, just you're, the deck is stacked against you in that, in that scenario. Mary, could you tell me then... Um because I've actually known about this for a little bit of time, but it would be good for the listeners to have a refresher. What are the statistics like for the long-term for that individual and then collectively for us as a country, statistically, if you have this problem that seems ridiculously widespread in the United States of America, where people aren't able to read, but they're still being passed up through the grades? Yeah, Dana, ridiculously widespread is such a good way to put it because it really is. I mean, 14% of adult Americans cannot read or comprehend well enough to fill out a basic job application. You know, like what ends up happening to these people? Well, your involvement with the American criminal justice system is directly correlated to how well you can read. So if we don't fix this, and fix it quickly, our incarceration rates will go up, crime will go up, taxes go up. Um, let's talk about mental health rates. Um, our healthcare system is affected. I mean, you may be sitting at home thinking, gosh, this won't affect me. I'm, you know, my children are in X, Y, and Z private schools. I'm able to afford this type of tutoring and remediation, but this affects every single American. And as Brooke said, if we don't fix this quickly, 
by the third or fourth grade, if you are not caught up, studies show you will never catch up. And then is, we have a whole generation of illiteracy. Is this widespread across America in terms of inner cities and rural areas? From what we are seeing, Dana, and we are virtually and in person pretty much all over the country, yes, every child has suffered some type of COVID learning loss. But as Brooke touched upon, we are in a decline in our math and reading scores for the last 30 years. I mean, there was a study done in the year 2000 in America that said we need to adapt the science of reading right away. And here we are, you know, 22 years later, still having the same debate because, you know, we can only guess at it. You know, we the Wall Street Journal came out today with an amazing article on the American Rescue Plan and how as of May, only 7% of those billions of dollars has actually been spent by school districts to help children learn how to read. 7% of billions of dollars. It's, we are failing the children in this country. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. You're talking about an op-ed written by Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. It was in the Wall Street Journal, and he has a proposal that some of those unspent funds, if they're not going to be spent, then they should be reallocated to the parents or the students who need the help. Now, that is a fabulous idea and one that would make so much sense. And perhaps that can get through because I think Americans were quite generous in the pandemic of saying, we recognize that we're going to need to help schools. They said that they needed to redo their circulation systems. They said they needed X, Y, and Z. Then you find out only 7% of the funds have been spent and they kept the kids out of school. Like we could go on and on because this is actually driving a huge amount of resentment from parents, but also people like me who are not parents, but who are taxpayers. And I care about the kids that we are shortchanging them. And for what, what are they doing with that money? It is a real outrage. And this is not my interview. <laughs> I should um, let you talk about that. But when you are traveling around across the country and some of these school districts are rethinking how they are approaching reading, are they willing then to put in some resources to hire somebody like yourselves and try a different approach? Do you see some willingness and flexibility there? I think they talk the talk, a lot of them. In terms of walking the walk, it's a different story, Dana. Like they are all sort of disagreeing or arguing over the balanced literacy approach that Brooke mentioned and this science of reading phonics-based approach that we know works. We've tried it with underserved communities in Bellevue, Idaho, with first graders who are not native English speakers when we met them They didn't know what a letter was or that a letter made a sound. They were in first grade. After 20 weeks of this direct phonics approach, they're all reading on grade level. So I think school districts want to help the children, at least I hope they do. But in terms of really coming together and working together, we just don't see it. And this is why only 7% of the money has been spent. 
I think I think part of the issue is, and we've been Mary and I've been talking a lot about this as we prepare to to chat with our um, I Have a Dream Foundation affiliates here, is that the approach to education in this country is very bottoms up. It's not top down. And in a bottoms up approach, you have a bunch of people, you know, peering into one another's classrooms, teachers, for example, and saying, oh, hey, what are you doing? Okay, I'm going to try that versus the top down saying, okay, here's your manual. Here's what needs to be done. Go and do this. You know, I was saying to Mary um, today, it, it should almost be like Teach for America. You're going into the middle of nowhere. Um, you're going into the middle of nowhere and here's a manual on what to do. You almost need to do that with reading. You need a very sort of specialized approach to reading um, where, where all the teachers are trained in the same sort of language. I think school districts are a little bit gun shy, to be honest, about spending money because we look at Lucy Calkins and um, you know her Readers and Writers Workshop, which was profiled on the cover of the New York Times, um, where you know she's now said, hey, I was using balanced literacy. I wasn't using phonics, but I really need to implement phonics because people aren't learning to read with my program. Anyway, her program, um, same article, $31 million uh, was, was paid for that program through New York City public schools. They gave her $31 million. Now this was, she says, was deployed over 75 staff members that she needed and um, training sessions where she would come into schools and for $400 an hour would um, train people in this balanced literacy program. Okay, so all this money's been spent and now we're saying, but it actually didn't work. So I think school districts are reluctant, scared, nervous to say, we're gonna give this other huge chunk of money to a new program or to you know to something else. Um, and so I think there's a little bit of, of inertia. I think inertia is powerful. I think people yeah. are just like, wait a minute, we just gave some lady $31 million and we're still nowhere. So now what? And if I could just add to that leadership, it's a lack of leadership and it's a lack of somebody stepping stepping up and saying, we need to adopt this uniformly across the country. It's not. You'd mentioned Boise, Idaho, but um, one of the things I thought was interesting was all the different places that you have seen improvement in a change. And I'm, I'm just curious if you, if, if, if a mom and dad or a grandparent is listening to this today, what is your advice to them? I'll start with you, Brooke. What is your advice to them as to how they can get help for those kids to get back on track? So the first thing I would do is figure out what they're learning in their school. Um, I think the reason that right now the national focus is on literacy and reading is because of COVID, honestly, and people seeing through the virtual instruction what was going on at school and realizing, whoa, this is this is not working. This is a problem. And so um, I think the first thing is figure out what is being taught, what's in your curriculum. And if there aren't, you know, an if there isn't an approach to phonics, I think parents need to vocally demand that school districts start making a change. And I think that is honestly what is compelling a lot of these conversations in school districts, like in New Haven and the podcast we just listened to, um, it's parents coming and saying, hey, we need it. We need an approach um, to, to reading that actually works. Um, so I think that's the first thing you can do. You can employ a tutor. Um, you know, there's huge ranges in how much um, tutors are being paid. Um, privately, tutors are making $150 to $250 an hour um, to teach reading. That's cost prohibitive for many people. Um, 
So what do you do? Um, maybe perhaps you can work in a pod. You can get a small group of students to work with a teacher privately. You can approach the teachers at your public school and say, what do you offer after school in terms of enrichment? Can my child come in early and meet for enrichment? Um, you know, those are all things that children and that families um, should have access to. So I think those are some of the things you can do in terms of addressing the curricular situation. Um, in terms of day-to-day -day activities you can do with your child. I have a lot of those as well. I'm not sure if that's what you're looking for. One thing I wanted to ask you was, we have this renewed interest in education from parents all across America, because we saw that because of COVID. Um, we saw the whole thing with the Justice Department and the letter about domestic terrorists that got pulled back. Um, so there's a moment right now where a lot of people are like, wait, what's happening in education and let's focus. And parents are letting their feelings be known. Is there something happening, Mary, in the education um, space that we're not paying attention to? Maybe it is literacy. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I always like to ask, ask that question of like, what, what are we missing? What do you wish people could know today? Yeah, such a great question. And I, I'm not sure if we're actually missing it because I think people are very aware of this and speaking about it. They just don't know how to fix it. Teachers. Teachers are overwhelmed. Um, a, a, a recent study tells us that over 50% of American teachers are considering resigning or considered resigning in the past year. I think the shooting exacerbated that. I mean, could you imagine what will happen to our schools if 50% of our workforce walk off the job? So I think people are talking about this. However, real solutions have not come forth. Uh, people are not, young people are not choosing teaching any longer as a profession. Um, teachers are feeling disrespected. They have more and more been the target of violence, of physical, verbal abuse in their classrooms throughout the country. Teachers are overwhelmed. Classes, class sizes are too big and they cannot teach. And we always say this, teachers want to teach and children want to learn. How have we not figured this out yet? There's also the pressure right now on teachers to make up for two years of learning loss. And so teachers were told this year, okay, so you need to teach 18 months of material in nine months. And that is very, very stressful and overwhelming to teachers. Um, and, and a lot of them just can't take the pressure. I mean, anecdotally, we interview teachers every day for, to work for us. And um, that's what we're hearing. More and more of them want to get out of the classroom, whether that means working full-time as a tutor or going to work in administration. But they're, they're saying, we just we can't take the pressure anymore. There, people are disappointed in everything we do. We're being asked to do things we've never had to do before, a lot of the virtual learning. We have teachers. We had a teacher we interviewed who said she's been a permanent sub all year. She cannot get a full-time position because the full-time teacher um, has had a carve-out essentially due to COVID. So either not wanting, does not, I'm sorry, the teacher did not want to get vaccinated and therefore did not feel comfortable going into school. And so she's been paid anyway, the full-time teacher the entire year. And this permanent sub cannot get her position um, because they've had to preserve this job for this teacher that basically has said, I'm opting out this year. I'm not going to get vaccinated and I'm too scared to come in and go to work. So there's a lot of sort of the push and pull with the teacher unions um, and, and sort of political dynamics going on behind the scenes um, that are causing a lot of turmoil in uh, in terms of staffing in schools. 
let me talk, let me turn to the, I have a dream piece of this. So tell me about these affiliates and if people wanted to learn more about them, be a part of them, what, what do they need to know? So the, I have a dream foundation is a national non-for-profit here in America. And they believe that education is the way forward for underserved populations. Um, they were, they're so interesting to us because they're totally aligned in our belief that you learn how to read, you give a child a book, you give them that skill and you open up their entire future. Mm -hmm. uh, so we actually started working with them uh, right when we opened our company back in August 2020, Dana, it was so uh, we were working with just a few students in Dallas, Texas, and we fell in love with these little youngsters. And, you know, we worked, uh, you know, tirelessly with some of these fifth and sixth graders who were reading on a kindergarten first grade level. I mean, it was heartbreaking. And our outreach and our work with them has just expanded over the last four years. And we started a literacy pilot in which we wanted to see, obviously, the younger the child is, the quicker uh, these things will click and the quicker they will pick up these phonics skills. So we started working with kindergartners, East Harlem, New York, um, our first graders who we previously mentioned in Bellevue, Idaho, introducing a, phon a systematic phonics-based approach to learning how to read. We just finished year one of a two-year pilot and every child has made gains. Mm. And we are so excited to try to expand this pilot into more affiliates. Um, they have an affiliate here in Denver. Uh, they're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They're doing great work across the country, mostly in after-school programs, right? So children go right after school. They get their tutoring two to three times a week. They get homework help. Um, it's a really incredible um organization. And we also, through Onwards, raise money to help the dreamers. So we have a sponsor, a child link on our website. If there's anyone out there who really wants to help, um, your funds will go directly to a child. What is? Uh, tell us the website and maybe spell it for Onwards. So you can go to our website, www.enriched.com nyc.com enriched e-n-r-i-c-h-e-d-n-y-c.com and on there you'll see um, one of the drop down menus profiles onwards and on that page you can click on a link to support a child so how much can i just ask how much does it cost if somebody wants to support a child i mean obviously we'd be happy to accept any donations but <laughs> Essentially, we can work with children in small pods, so that becomes a little more cost effective. Um, but we amortized it down, gosh, to about a, for a whole year of tutoring, it's about a thousand dollars a child, which is a lot less than um, you'd probably see out there in other tutoring. Uh, it's such a neat idea for a gift for someone as well. And I'm just thinking out loud here, ladies. Um, <laughs> okay, then my last two questions, very simple, hopefully simple. Are there children's books that you are loving right now that you'd recommend? Oh, goodness. Well, it depends what age. I mean, yes, there are so many that are, are so great. Um, I work with a lot of first graders. Yeah. So my first graders, um, Ivy and Bean is a great series. They love Ivy and Bean because the characters are a little bit irreverent and silly and funny. 
but the writing and the vocabulary and the sentence structure are complex enough that it's really additive. So I love the Ivy and Bean series. That's love. one that I would plug. Um, Mary, what do you, what do you love? So, you know, I love my little guys, my pre-K and kindergarten guys, and this is not a plug for Julianne Moore, although I do love her, the actor. <laughs> She wrote a book called Freckle Face Strawberry, and it was a, not many people know this. And um, because she's was a redhead, she's a redhead with freckles, and she was kind of teased her entire young life about it. So she wrote a book, a children's book, all about that and appreciating every person for their uniqueness, and and that's what makes them beautiful. And and, and I just that stands out to me so much. Um, as one that we really need these days as well as to teach children as young as possible um, acceptance and respect for others. Oh, wait, I have one more too, actually. I'm going to jump in. The Scaredy Squirrel series is is great. And the reason I would pick up on that one is because it addresses a little squirrel who has a lot of anxiety and the way that manifests, but in a very humorous, successful way. And there is so much anxiety out there right now with small children. We see them in our offices every day. We see them online. And, you know, I'm sure it's the projection of us as adults with what's been going on in the world over the last two years, you know? Um, and so anyway, Scaredy Squirrel is just a great way to talk about some of those fears in a way that says, Hey, like everyone has these fears and, and what are some ways we can deal with them? Um, so I love all the Scaredy yeah. Squirrel books. They're I great. Love that. So my last question for both of you, maybe a quick answer from both is how does it feel at this point in your life to have really found your calling? We were just talking about this last night as we walked from hot core power fusion yoga. (laughs) Um, You know, we were both saying how happy we are. Like literally that is the word to describe at least what I'm feeling is true happiness. Because as you said, to have found your calling to be able to help little children all across the country and do our little part in this huge issue. I mean, we're doing our little part and it just feels so good every day. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way. Um, I love children. I have four children of my own. Um, and I just watching, seeing, I've always seen school as a safe place for me personally. I loved school and to be able to, um, you know, educate children is just the greatest gift in life. Um, and it's just amazing to work with children. They're all, their personalities are all so different. They're so full of wonder. Um, every day is different. It's dynamic. Mm. Um, that's why I went into teaching in the first place. And so this is just more of that, which I love. Well, it's been a real pleasure to meet you and to talk to you. I, I believe this will not be the last time that we have a chance to talk. I'm very impressed and I'm glad that we can bring this to more people. I would leave everybody with knowing that my co-host Greg Gutfeld on the five one time on Facebook Friday, a question was posed to us by a viewer. What did you like to play the first day after school was out in the summer? And I said, school, <laughs> because that's how much I loved it. And I love reading and it has completely enriched my life. I wouldn't be where I am today without it. And so this is an important message. And thank you both and good luck. Thank you. Thank you for having us, David. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
Did you hear the news? Now you can. With instant updates from Fox News for Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play news from Fox. In Fox News. It's the latest when you need it. On demand from Fox News and Amazon Alexa. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.